out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that will never come up in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is Michael Mann's Manhunter. And uh, there's a. Say that five times fast. I will will do no such thing because it will be embarrassing for me personally. So, uh, anyway, we are here to talk about this movie and uh, we need to introduce some disembodied voices uh, around. uh, Who is always with me in the recent days? Go ahead and identify yourself, sir. Uh, Hey, it's me, Dalton Stewart. Um, uh, Dustin, do you see? (laughs) I do see. Do you see? I do see. Do you see what I am becoming? I do, and and that was mine, but that's okay. <laughs> Stole it. That'll work. Snatched it up from you. That that will work just fine. I don't mind. Well, also, we have a returning voice that we have not heard in a little while. Yeah. Holla, holla. Hey, dude. Hey. What up? Not much. Uh, my name's Alexander Bohannon, and you want the scent? Smell yourself. <laughs> And uh, my name's Dustin Sells, and I was going to ask you if you saw also, but uh, apparently you've already seen. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, blood uh, looks quite black in moonlight. Yeah. Um, actually, I have no use of my arms. Can you dial for me? Oh, that's that, a good one. That's what I want to say. Um, so there you go, dear listener. Uh, we are talking about the first of the Hannibal Lecter uh, visual uh, motion picture uh, outings, and that is 1986's Manhunter. Now, to warn you, if you are listening to the show for the very first time, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means we will spoil things uh, in the course of our discussion. We might also even spoil the novel, so uh, just be aware of that um yeah spoilers abound probably for for all the hannibal lecter-esque media so we'll probably talk about the novel red dragon we'll probably talk about the uh, brett ratner film red dragon we'll probably talk about uh, brian fuller's tv series hannibal um all the things all all, all the things so uh you know you know if that's something that um you're sensitive about uh, get the fuck out of here <laughs> well uh, i mean i've not seen or read like any of any you, of this you, you can't leave you don't get to oh leave. my god <laughs> you're just gonna get spoiled. bye guys i'm just gonna exit left we, wanna... we'll we'll be as tender i mean again if you tender as possible tender, oh god. <laughs> jesus uh, i mean if you watched manhunter you know the deal um just variations on the same thing sure but just a heads up there, there might be some spoilers for those things if you are uh you know e- extra touchy about it but to prevent you from having to bug out if you are touchy about this particular question what you can do is you can stick around for our synopsis and our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews you can hang out for our gameplay which might involve the mildest of spoilers of this and perhaps other media and then once we get down to business and you'll hear that business time cue so that you know what's going on then you can know that that's something that you need to avoid at that point so you have now been warned so without any further ado let's hear the voice of the dalton theater and let's hear the synopsis of michael mann's manhunter former fbi profiler will graham returns to service to pursue a deranged serial murder named the Tooth Fairy by the media. Can I just say the Tooth Fairy is the stupidest name for a serial killer ever? 
That's not a good one. It isn't really. It's- and also ending any synopsis with something something by the media. Like that just sounds so stupid. The lamestream media. <laughs> Come on, sheeple. Get with the program. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, oh, demons. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know. I'm just going to say that was a bullseye Alex Jones since nobody's going to give me props for that. No. (laughs) I don't even know anymore. I I tell you. Well, just how do you are you you're just alone with him on a weekly basis. I'm I'm so so sorry. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) I I, I just need you here. I'm glad Uh, to be here. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. That's basically what's going on. (laughs) So let's find out what we thought about the movie Manhunter in our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm going to you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What'd you think? Holla what? Okay, so this is going to be a review probably different than what you've heard before on this movie. This is because I've never seen any Hannibal Lecter media ever in my life. Which I, is kind of, I, I think is kind of fun, actually. Yeah, no, no. And I think that gives me a, a unique perspective and advantage to watching this movie because, like, that's one thing that I keep on reading when I've read reviews of this film is there people that are its champion are like, oh my god, you noobs are just comparing this to the rest of Hannibal, and of course you can't compare it to, you know, Anthony Hopkins, blah, 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 who is God. Of course you can't compare it to that, blah, 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 but it's still a good movie in its own right. Well, Anthony Hopkins would be the most vengeful God, I just want to say right now. Yeah, he is. I don't want that at all. Yeah, so he... That is not what's going on here. Yeah, you, and you have no opinions. Uh, I have no opinions on Hannibal Media. I think uh, Brian Cox is totally fine as Hannibal Lecter. He's like more like a deranged dentist kind of. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> he, that's what he's got the vibe. Uh, deranged dentist. Uh, like what? What is that guy? Uh, it's a British actor who's the original Brent. Uh, he's the original oh, Office. I'm fucking. Oh, my God. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, he's like Ricky Gervais. <laughs> but, uh, like, a dentist that, like, chops out all your teeth before killing you. Like, that's... But it doesn't look like someone that would eat people, personally, I think. Um, he's very... Yeah, Br- Brian Cox's performance in this movie is, is very low-key. Yeah, no, and that's fine. But I can safely say, with no past experience with Hannibal as a a medium and never read the books, never seen any of the movies, never seen the TV show, which I know is incredible. This movie sucks, guys. It sucks so bad. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) This movie... Okay, so the director... Um, I, this is probably, I think this is my first film that I know I've watched. I'm, I'm sure I've seen other movies he's directed. Yeah, Michael Mann's fairly prolific. Yeah. yeah. But this uh, is the first time you're like, I know that this is a Michael Mann movie. Exactly. And, um, his cinematographer, um, who I remember vaguely, I think it was Jacob or Zach looked it up, looked him up and he's fairly like, oh, well, I understand why this movie looks so good, even if everyone feels like they're sleepwalking from scene to scene. I've never been so bored watching a movie about people being killed in horrific ways in my life. Like, that takes a special skill to bore me. Like, I'm not scared. I'm not in suspense. Like, I'm legitimately bored. I almost fell asleep several times. It was late. But come on, guys. Like, how hard is it to not 
make a boring movie about killing people. I think that's like part of the appeal of the crime genre and serial killers in, in general and horror movies in general, like the human centipede, not saying that, you know, the human centipede is a masterpiece of cinema by any means. I haven't seen it either, but it, it probably grabbed your attention. You know, this movie just doesn't feel like anyone's awake ever, including the guy from law and order with that big ass boss mustache like that guy that's uh, just one of those other actors that looks like he's a cop since the day he was born uh, fun fact he was a cop uh that makes total sense yeah, dennis farina uh r.i.p uh, who it's uh, such a lost bummer a couple of years ago yeah no, dennis farina is the best yeah he's, he's like yeah, he's everyone's as, cop dad he's great as jack crawford yeah. yeah and so and then we get to our main lead character who plays grissom in cs the og csi and he is so fucking dead. Like, his face is just immobile. Like, he doesn't... Like, where yeah. is the acting? He acts, like, one time during that movie, and that's when he yells at Farina. Like, he gets mad at him. But then, like, the monologuing, all the exterior, like, shit. Like, I don't believe any of it. And anyway, I'm not going to be one of those people that calls this movie dative, dated in a pejorative way, but this movie is very dated. 80s in, you know, it's... And I'm not saying that as a slam against it. I love Die Hard. That's a very 80s movie. And The Princess Bride, another very 80s movie. But I just don't think that some of the tonal choices that I associate with eighty this an 80s movie don't really work here. Mm -hmm. Like, the ending sequence done to live in La Vida Loca or whatever that song is. Uh, <laughs> when he's in the house with the gun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. It's definitely not <laughs> Is it not live in La Vida no, Loca? No, that song was recorded until many years later. <laughs> it's I, a, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, that, that's what I thought that song was. <laughs> remembered that as that song <laughs> whatever it doesn't work i don't like it <laughs> that's funny well thank you very much for that review miss alexander bohannon what do you think mr dalton Stewart? do you like manhunter I, I i'm not as uh I'm, I'm not as mad at it as alex is but i don't love it either um it michael mann is a filmmaker that i i really i go back and forth on because i i love the film thief i think thief is really good i love the film collateral and that's about it. Like, every other Michael Mann movie to me, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, is just almost a good movie for me. Um, he just makes some really strange pacing choices that I, I will never understand. Um, this is a sleepy film. It's a very sleepy film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people like to throw around words like cerebral when they talk about Michael Mann. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the, the adjective you can go with if you want to, but I... He doesn't seem to be in a hurry with anything, which is not bad. It's, it's good to let a film breathe a little bit, but it, the, the laconic, I mean, just ugh, get yeah. to the fucking, get on with it. And there, this is more of an adaptation theory thing. For speaking about Manhunter specifically uh, in the, the adaptation of Red Dragon, there are some plot points that this film drops that I think are, are very stupid. Um, the end of this movie, while I really enjoy the way it's shot, like, I, I love, like, Tom Noonan just, like, fucking letting, like, ripping through people, like, because he's such a very large and imposing man. Um, I, I think visually, the, the end of the film is really fun uh, as far as just how big he is. Um, but, but making the ending of this story 
that, and, and we'll, we'll not talk about the other endings right away. I, I just don't, Dustin, you are familiar with the actual ending of the story. Yes. W- what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's okay. I oh. mean, you know, I, I think I like the novel ending or the, uh, I believe it ends the same way in the Ray Fiennes film, too. Yeah, the, right? the, the Ray Fiennes, Brett Ratner, Anthony Hopkins, uh, yeah. Edward Norton. Yeah, that, that ends the same way as the novel. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. I like that ending a lot. Um, even in the television series where they do change the ending quite a bit, they they still hew fairly close. Um but again, we'll we'll talk about more about that later. I just don't, and that that's hard for me to separate out because I like the way that that ending transpires. I don't really go for this one, and part of the reason this movie ends this way um, is that Michael Mann is just deeply uninterested in Hannibal Lecter. I think I don't I don't think I don't, yes. I don't think he saw the appeal of the character, um, which is unfortunate because I could have done with more Brian Cox because I do like him in his few scenes that he has. Um, but I, I don't think Michael Mann was particularly interested in that side of this story. I, I think one of the big problems is I don't know what aspects of the story Michael Mann is interested in. I don't think he's interested in any of it. Which, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would say that the, you're not wrong. The, it's, it's definitely hard for me to find what he likes about this uh, material. Because, I, I mean, I know he likes cop stories. Like, that's something that he keeps returning to throughout his work. Um, but but for some reason he just now the one we're we're really ripping on this. I will talk uh, briefly about things I like. I really like the procedural elements of this film, which um, are, are really something that I I can't think of an earlier example of. Like there's a lot of looking at prints. There's a lot of like looking through uh, the DMV database. Yeah, I love stuff like that. I love I love that they they do like very old fashioned like simple ass police work in this movie and I'm, i really like the way that that's portrayed it's portrayed as and those are the moments where this film feeling kind of sleepy work right because that is kind of long boring tedious work and they do a pretty good job of of bringing that feeling to to the the context of the film um and just showing you like it's simultaneously like a mind-numbing thing to do but also it could not be of of, of more like speed it could not be more of the essence because Holy shit! If we don't do this, more people are going to die, and it's going to be our fault that more people died if we don't get this done. But I feel like, you know, I they kept on saying, you know, we got to get to this guy before the next full moon. But it didn't even feel like they were all that worried about it. Like no one was motivated to go faster or think and, better. And or... I'm not going to disagree with you on that because, the, and there therein lies the problem: is there are moments where it's like. They capture the feel of, like, this long, tedious work that takes a long time to do and is very boring. And it is occasionally juxtaposed with the, the haste of having to find uh, the two fairy. Uh, but then they just kind of don't. And then it exists exactly as you said. They just kind of, like, lose steam. Um, the, again, there are moments of this film that I really went for and I really appreciated. Um, again, I, th- I think back to the finale. It is incredibly, like, well shot. I like There's weird, like double like weird jump edits in the the shootout that i think are really cool that i I think are really interesting and that's where michael mann like you're like oh yeah this is a michael mann movie in those final moments because the way he he shoots violence is very specific to him as a filmmaker and i i think really shows um that that his very uh, tourist sensibilities Um, but yeah overall i i don't love it i I think it's watchable i I don't hate it as much as alex did uh, but I, i definitely don't love it all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I really like it. I really like it a lot. 
And, uh, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why mm-hmm. I like it. I mean, there's, there's a certain wheelhouse to which I belong in which I am a person who is easily seduced by synth score and uh, by visuals, uh, the use of sort of color coding, the greens, uh, those sort of red to pinks and blues. I, I really, really love that kind of cinema du look, uh, look that is going on uh, with the film a lot. And so I, that, that, that's something for me that I really, really tend to enjoy. And I, I think what Michael Mann may be interested in, to answer that earlier question, is that he is interested in the idea of this seething underlying rage mm-hmm. that may explode at any moment. Okay. And, and so that's what we sort of see, is that Tom Noonan, um, the character, he's, he's playing Fra- Dollarhide. That's Francis, Francis Dollarhide. Dollar yeah. He is, uh, what he's doing is a character that you would think is, you know, a quiet guy kind of kept to himself. I mean, sort of standard yeah. serial killer kind of fare, but um, that you don't expect this sort of thing to sort of become unleashed at any moment. And uh, that with the cycles of the moon and all those things that are sort of built into the plot, into the narrative, that as those things are being dealt with, that all the time there is this, again, this sort of sense of rage that's building mm-hmm. and that you're seeing it coded in color and in tone as far as the soundtrack goes. And uh, for my money, I, I find it to be very, very interesting. But this is also coming from someone who is a Dario Argento fan, uh, whose uh, films are all style and very little substance. That it's not really so much about what happens narratively, although this film makes much more narrative sense than, say, Suspiria. Um, it is a, a movie that, it, you know, the, 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 the dots connect. There are sort of like plausible problems and uh, those kind of things that happen here and there that we've already discussed. Uh, so far, it's like, why don't you guys handle this in a little bit, you know, more efficient kind of way? But, but I find it to be really well, just well scored, very interesting, and and just a lot of fun. Yeah, to uh, to to Alex's point, uh, the use of Indigata Vita by Iron Butterfly. Yes, not <laughs> not Living Live Vita, Vita by, Rick, by Ricky Martin. Um, I, I really like that, and I, I wonder if they just chose that because it's a like a twelve minute long song. So they can play that. it over the entire shootout. I actually really like that that uh, that usage there. Again, I I think the ending of this movie is fantastic. Um, well, I think the shootout, uh, the climax of this film is great. I actually don't really love the ending either. That's um, fair because it just kind of ends. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. No, that's fine. But uh, those are my general thoughts on the film Manhunter, directed by Michael Mann. I, I might be more into what you're saying, Dustin, if it felt like this was any way intentional. Like he was doing it on purpose you to be feel, like you don't feel that Dario and Gento, Argento. No, I'd rather watch Asperia than watch this. You know, like, I mean, I'd rather watch like, I, I mean, I watched, I just got, came from the movies and watched Personal Shopper. Again, a movie not driven by a very strong narrative that has kind of pieces like vaguely tied together you know like i'm not opposed to those kind of movies that feels like an intentional choice this does not feel like one in my opinion uh, michael mann is one of those really interesting filmmakers that the people that like him love him uh and there's people like us who don't really know what to make of him despite um his legions of fans yeah well i mean that's all fair and i mean it's all taste and that's what we're talking about at this point uh during our thumbs exactly. up thumbs down review uh, so yeah, well, so this is going to be good though. This is what I like to see is like somebody who really doesn't like it, somebody sort of middling on it, somebody who likes it quite a bit. Because despite all of that, we're going to have a lot of interesting things to say uh, about this film once we get down to our analysis section. But before we get to that, we're going to play our game. But we're not even going to get to that just yet because we have to talk about social media and how the conversation could keep going. Um, Alex, it's been a while. I know. What's can, up? Yeah. Do you, do you remember how to do this? Uh, I think so. Can you say words about social media? Yeah, you can find the Good Trash Media Network. 
at goodtrashmedia.com. You can find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. You can find us on Instagram also, goodtrashmedia.com. Oh, I always forget about that one. Um, well, it's not at dot .com either, <laughs> and we never update it, so sorry, guys. So maybe don't use um, Then you can also find us at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. It's sort of like that Good Trash Tumblr that I don't ever run. Oh yeah, like oh god, that thing's probably that hasn't been touched in three to four years. Four I years think it longer. actually maybe exists. <laughs> yeah, it's still there, but yeah, I never do anything with it. Anyway, uh, Dalton, is there yet another social media means by which the conversation could be held? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Is there another one? I think there could be. I uh, one that I didn't say. Well, that you like to use. I I, I, I can't. I you know. Let me. Oh, th- uh, you know what it is. I. I've been doing a lot of like late night wildlife photography, so uh, really <laughs> mostly focused on nocturnal birds. Um, you know what birds do, right? They uh, tweet. Uh, I've got uh. jokes. Here we go. We're on Twitter at gun underscore trash. That was a waste of time. I really You're, Dalton I, is bad underscore trash. I just kind of walked around the yard for a second till I found something interesting. Cool. Um, that's right. We're on Twitter at good underscore trash, and uh, as with all those other social media means, that is the social media account for um, all of Good Trash Media, not just the Good Trash Genre Cast. Um, although that's mostly what we're focusing on these days. So uh, get, go over there. Let us know what you think. We'll, we'll be around. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for that, um, lady and gentleman. Uh, appreciate that. And I think, guys, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> that's right, dear listener. And this week's game is our favorite serial killers. Uh, that's right, favorite serial killers. Brought to you by Manhunter. Manhunter, you really probably shouldn't have a favorite serial killer, but uh, this is where we are. <laughs> we are not good people. Oh. All right. At all. But anyway, so let's go ahead and uh, do that uh, gameplay. I'm going to go to you first, Dalton. Okay. Uh, because I know you do love some true crime. I do, quite a and, bit. And know some things. So let's let's hear some of your favorites. Uh, mine are going to be mostly fictional. I actually don't think I picked any... Uh, de- uh, dr- dramatized depictions of real serial killers. That felt a little gauche. Um, but that's just me. Uh, I went with fictional people, although all of these are based in some regard uh, on real characters, uh, real persons. Uh, this first couple is a couple, and uh, they're probably technically spree killers, but whatever. Uh, and that's Mallory and Mickey Knox from the Oliver Stone film Natural Born Killers, which is a film that I'm actually about as middling on as Manhunter, but uh, is definitely much more fun to watch, because it's a uh, Holy shit. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, if you have not caught up with this movie uh, or it's been a long time since you've seen it, I definitely recommend you watch it for the first time or revisit it because uh, I watched it about two years ago for the first time in a while. And it's a lot. There is a lot going on in this movie. Um, I don't love Oliver Stone, generally speaking, but uh, this movie is – is. Uh, let me rephrase it. I don't love later day uh, Oliver Stone, um, you know, like post 95, I kind of am not that interested in his career, but, uh, man, this movie, who it's got a lot of stuff in it. And, uh, yeah. And number one of those things that it's got is Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis killing a whole bunch of people. And, uh, 
It's got some fun commentary on the media and how we sensationalize murder. And, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I'm into it. It's good stuff. I recommend people check it out. All right. Well, thanks for that, uh, Mr. Dollinger. When it comes to me, I think the first serial killer I want to name uh, in terms of cinema has got to be Norman Bates as played by Anthony Perkins. Yeah, yeah, of like, course. That's, that's, I mean, as, I love Psycho anyway. It is, but he is as many serial killer um, you know, in fiction, uh, many of them are based on some real life events. Ed Gein was a very different kind of person uh, than. Yeah, uh, he had a nipple belt. Uh, oh, he did. Wait, and, like instead of like those '90s belts with the, like little huh, like the bottle caps, it was nipples. Yep, yep. You got it. That's wow. the thing. It's a belt made out of nipples. It didn't he have a lampshade made out of person. Uh, here's the thing, though. He only killed like two people. Yeah. Um, he, he was a very oh, only. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's low numbers. Yeah. Uh, he was just a very sad person. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think is one of the most influential uh, figures of the 19th century or the 20th century, rather. Uh, because man, does he just keep impacting popular culture? Yeah, in crazy way, and to some extent, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. So I mean, there's something that's going on there. But yeah, that's the first one that I would select. Alex, what's your first selection? I'm gonna go with uh, often beloved and hated television series based on the books Dexter. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking of other ones first. I'm like, no, no, Dexter, because he's a serial killer that kills the bad guys and then deals with his own duck passenger. And also, Michael C. Hall is so hot in it. Like, yeah, and that show is so good, especially. I mean, stop watching after season four. I think that's my hard recommendation. But uh, yeah, like, yeah, that I, John, that, is that the John Lithgow season? Absolutely, yeah, it that's is. A good one. I feel like this. I believe that the season finale of season four is one of that would have been like the most terribly awesome ways to end a show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, Ooh, and then it went for another what six years? Yeah. Like nine, is it nine, ten seasons? I forget. It's I don't know. Too many. Um, I once, one of my favorite YouTube videos is the ending of Dexter rewritten to like incorporate all of the little things, all the balls that they drop on how to like, how did Dexter get caught or whatever. Mm-hmm. Instead of him becoming a lumberjack somewhere else and dead, brain dead. Sorry. That's just, I don't, I've never even watched it. That's a spoiler. It's been a while, a while though. Yeah, no one cares. And no one cares about that ending. You, Everyone is mad about it. If you, so if you give a fuck about Dexter, you probably already know that that's how it ended. That's so. yeah. true. I, you know what? I only made it through season three of Dexter. I was I was very done with Dexter. Well, season um, three is not a good season. If you can make it to season four, three is not good. Yeah, Lila, I I, I could do without. Uh, I really I, I like the first season quite a bit. Uh, Same. I heard the Edward James almost and Colin Farrell or not Colin Farrell. Colin, Colin Farrell. Colin, Colin Hanks. That's a good movie. I, I heard right the, the Colin Hanks Edward James almost season was pretty fun. But uh, yeah, me. I'm, I'm glad I stopped. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, Michael C. Hall is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is his performance is is quite good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Dalton. You got another selection for us? I guess if I have to, I can give you another one. I've got a couple. Um, I mean, you know, we'll save that for later. I want to talk about Stuntman Mike. Yeah. Who's Mike? He's a stuntman. Um, that, that is, uh, Quentin Tarantino's character from Death Proof, uh, which is probably one of the more unique serial killers in fiction, because, uh, he murders with a, a fucking badass car, uh, a Chevy Nova and a, uh, Dodge Charger, to be more precise. Um, man, what a wonderful film, and, and one we have talked about on this show, in fact, quite a long time ago, but, uh, Kurt Russell is just so good at Stuntman Mike, and, um, 
his his cast of uh, victims and potential victims is so good. Um, I, I mean, we're, we're talking about eight actors, so I'm not going to go down the list, but uh, they're so good. Uh, the 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 female leads of this film are absolutely fantastic and um, are just wonderful, and that's part of what makes Stuntman Mike so good. Uh, in this film is the way he uh, is portrayed throughout the first and second halves of this film are really interesting. And yeah, I, I, I think he's great. I, it's a very underrated film and I like it quite a bit. And uh, I mean, that all goes back to the very interesting character that is Stummy and Mike. Very good. Very good. I like that a lot. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm going to pick uh, another sort of non-traditional uh, pick. I'm talking about Tommy DeVito who is Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. Okay, yeah, yeah, Who yeah. is, uh, again, he's just, he is a monster. He, he was a, he probably would have been a serial killer if he hadn't been in the mob. Yeah, but, but where he got to be one basically anyway. Yeah. And so uh, just going about and killing folk uh, left and right, and then, of course, you know, receiving his own uh, just desserts. But we don't think a lot about mob hitmen and uh, those kind of folks as serial killers because their, their pathology is slightly different. Yeah. But it is really, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, the end result is definitely the same. I mean, a person has killed a bunch of people over time. Um, but maybe, you know, going back to your pathology point, like somebody who is a, like, typically you think of your serial killers as someone that just wants to kill instead of, like, with your mob guy, you're like, he needs to kill this person because they're going to rat on them or they owe them protection, racket, money, or whatever. And I think that's where, uh, the, the very specifically, the performance of Joe Pesci comes in because he gives you the impression this guy would probably be killing people anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I was introduced the idea uh, in a class I was sitting in. Um, it was the day after Halloween, and my professor said, yes, yeah, since it was Halloween last night, we watched a monster movie. We watched Goodfellas, <laughs> in which Joe Pesci is the monster. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you are so right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's vicious in that movie. He beats a man to death with a gun. Yeah, I want to. I want to say that. I'm going to say that one more time. He beats a man to death with a gun instead of just it, using the gun. There it is. There you have it. It's, Kaboom! It's, I mean, yeah. like the, what the fuck? It's he, he. Joe Pesci is fucking incredible in that movie. You, what you think I'm funny? Yeah, like you, a clown. Like I'm a Do clown? I amuse you? <laughs> Do I amuse you? <sighs> so good. All right. Oh, hey, Alex, you got another pick? I do, and I. Don't have a deep, deep affection for this movie, but the in terms of being a serial killer who is interesting and like how I want my Hannibal stories to be, mm-hmm. um, I cannot, I would be amiss to not mention Seven by David Fincher. Uh, you can't not mention him because John Doe has the upper hand on all these fictional serial killers, right? Uh, he is so good, yeah. Uh, what's in the box i just uh oh. yeah yeah no that movie is you know i think now it's kind of got alien slash alien syndrome where you know if you're watching it in 2017 it may feel a little trite because everyone is copied off of it um well 100 oh yeah big yeah time. but so like thinking of the time 1995 this is like the hot fresh shit that, um, that film is responsible for the look of a lot of procedural television yeah and i mean and i didn't you know that's something that you don't think about yeah. until you like distance yourself from like where you are in your own personal timeline and things yeah. like that but yeah I'm, i mean in terms of like you know themed killing and like 
interesting like and terrifying like all of the ways every single way he killed someone real bad holy shit terrifying like totally messed me up yep uh in a real way um so yeah that is yeah he just he had everyone the entire time just just totally fucked him over john doe has the upper hand man does yeah and played amazingly uh by kevin spacey Stay away from here. That was going to be my pick, actually. Uh, that was my next one. Oh, so yeah. Let's talk you, more about it. You brought it up, so I didn't have to. Yeah. Uh, stay away from here. John Doe has the upper hand. I, I think about that all the time. Just that How many times have you Fruit. seen? Ooh. A lot. I've only seen it like once. Five or six, probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw once half, half of it in Empire Pizza. And then <laughs> half of it, I mean, one whole viewing. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. I, I think it's, um, to this day, probably one of Fincher's strongest films. Um, I, I think it just, every single second of that film works so well. Um, it is such a perfect distillation of tone um, throughout. Like, it just, that movie is always operating on the exact level it needs to be operating on to communicate what it's going for and uh, I, I really appreciate a lot and a lot of that has to do with kevin spacey showing up at the end and especially that scene in the car i mean it's it's kevin spacey's big showcase moment right is you know he only gets to be in maybe 15 20 minutes of the movie um but that that moment uh where he's in the car um with uh, morgan freeman and brad pitt i can't think of their characters names for some reason um somerset and um Oh, shit. That's not important because we're talking about John Doe. And that moment where um, the, they're having this back and forth and uh, it simultaneously he, he seems like this, this fucking supervillain. But you can't – the way the film is structured, you can't stop thinking about Morgan Freeman saying, if we catch John Doe and he's the devil himself, maybe that would be good enough. But he won't be. He's, he's just going to be a person at the end of the day. Um, and throughout this exchange, the camera is just framed in such a good way where, yes, uh, they, yes, uh, John Doe is in the back of a cop car. He, he is trapped, but they frame the scene to make it feel like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are also trapped. They are trapped in this, this sequence of events that they cannot escape from. The, 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 the first domino has been kicked over. There is no going back. Um, and it's a scene that like just keeps getting better when you know the end of the movie because they're just going forward to the worst possible thing that could happen to any of these three men. And, um, oh, it's so good. Uh, it's one of my, my favorite scenes, um, uh, in any movie, but um, especially in Fincher's, uh, oeuvre. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, so do we have any more picks? No, I'm good. I mean, it, it, we would be negligent not to mention the Jigsaw Killer uh, from Saw Films. Because um, I've only I, seen the first one. I mean, that's the only one that matters. I think I was intentionally negligent. I don't care for those films very much. Yeah, I mean, they... I, Tobin Bell's fine in them, yeah. Yeah, well, no, I'm not talking about him as him, the actor. I mean, he's never going to hold a candle to Kevin Spacey in, like, what, you know, a serial killer being a man. But in terms of Jigsaw being an idea and the kind of, like sadistic puzzles and all that stuff i mean the first i feel like the first film has some stuff to say i should you know i i actually i, I should take that back i do kind of like the second one a bit um but yeah it's just a it's just a series that i don't really give a shit about yeah so well i don't I bring it up 
Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly care about it, but I think, you know, it should get an honorable mention. Well, I think it's definitely interesting. And of yeah. course, you know, that he goes from a long line of slasher killers where we could mention your Jasons, your Freddies, your Michaels, your et ceteras, but I, those tend to be a lot less interesting, I think, than Jigsaw. Yeah, be, well, and that's, I think, what works so well about some of the choices we've had this evening um, is, is we've all gravitated towards picks that do, the, in which the work does its best to actually engage with the pathology of what makes somebody be like this right and i think that's why we keep going to hannibal lecter because um oh my gosh the author of the the lecter novels whose name uh thomas, thomas, harris. thomas harris was so interested in the pathology of serial killers and did so much research on their pathology uh, and i think that's why people keep going back to his works because they are works that engage with um this really um terrible darkness um, in a way that a film like Friday the 13th or Halloween doesn't. It, that, that's a movie about being stabbed as scary. Uh, these are films, um, these are characters uh, in which we're engaging with the human mind being scary, which I think is a much more interesting thing than being stabbed. Here, here. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart and Miss Alexander Bohan. But I think we're done with this, guys. I think it's time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is now, as always, analysis. And so we've got a lot of things we want to say and want to talk about regarding this film, uh, Manhunter. I almost called it Red Dragon. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I want to start out because uh, I, I have an observation that I sort of want to share. So a little bit of a filmy kind of knowledge, like essay kind of stuff to point you towards and uh, things to be thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about some of the writings of Andrew Bazan. Um, as I'm thinking about okay. this as an adaptation, because he wrote some adaptation theory. And uh, he talks about how there's different ways in which uh, an adaptation from the page to the screen can be faithful. And uh, he talks about uh, faithfulness in terms of spirit and faithfulness in terms of style. Right. And so this is the standard illustration I always give. Um, so spirit is what it means. The ideas, the theme, the mood, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's the more essential sort of thing. But a film can also uh, or rather also be faithful in terms of simply style. That's the plot beats, the lines, the characters uh, against the, the way it's implauded, those kind of things. And miss spirit. Uh, the, 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 the example that I always give in my students is uh, the very first Harry Potter film, which um, feels very much. Like it is stylistically faithful to the uh, novel. You know, Harry gets a letter, rides a train, fights an ogre, you know, chamber, rides a train, right? Those are the things that all happen. And there's Alex is doing her best to not correct you, and I'm very proud of her. Well, the things that happen, right? Yeah, I mean, stylistically it's there, but the spirit is not the same because the novel. And I think Alex would agree with me. Yeah. Feels like a scoop, more like a, an, an it's a Scooby-Doo. It's a Scooby-Doo kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. children's book. Like, I mean, the first two feel just like a Hardy Boys novel. Like, they're very, very, you know, cookie-cutter, solved mystery. And, and the rest of them do have that problem as well, but they're less... You know, they have way more character development and, right. and and things like that. So, but yeah, like, being slavishly devoted to the material, like... That can be an imp 
impediment. <laughs> but where Chris Columbus fails, even though he recreates the events, I never feel like in the movie it's a mystery story at all. Like, there's a thing that's going on, but it's more like, hey, this is a magical world. Isn't this neat? It's an adventure movie. Mm -hmm. And so his faithfulness in terms of style still has him miss in terms of spirit. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Absolutely. And so when I'm thinking about Red Dragon, the adaptation. Now, have you read Thomas Harris's I, original novel? I've read Red Dragon, yes. Okay. And Silence of the Lambs. And those are the only two I have. I've not read Hannibal or Hannibal Rising. Okay. Um, so I don't know those uh, as, you know, or at all. I'm just, I mean, I'm familiar with the novels, but I've never actually read them. So I was, uh, I was just... Just curious if you had. Yeah, just just Red Dragon and uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. And to, to me, it does feel like even though the plot is slightly different, uh, there are a lot of things that are, again, stylistically faithful. You mm -hmm. know, where Dollar Hyde, Lecter, etc. Mm -hmm. Where those things all happen uh, in a similar kind of way. But the, the entirety of the novel does have this sort of seething sort of rage that I mentioned earlier okay. in my review that all the time you know that any to any moment now something could explode that you're watching something that um, does not always happen and can happen at any moment and the way Michael Mann opens it up with those POV shots of Dollar Hyde going in that first family's home the way he uses that long slow plotting score that that sort of build up from cooler colors to warmer colors and those kind of things even though that's not stuff you see at all in a novel obviously because uh, they're not audiovisual multimedia materials. Mm. He's able to retain that bit of spirit of the novel in his adaptation. Does that make sense? And, yeah. And I, and I really kind of enjoy that about it um, as, as, as a work. And so I just want to drop a little Andre Bazan you know, for kicks and grins about that. I guess to, to me, the, the thing that I, I see as really interesting about Red Dragon is the implication that will has the same seething rage um and i don't feel like that's really there in manhunter i do think that's missing i, I think that is when the stylistic misses yeah and, and i i feel like they get a little bit of it once once he what they do capture is his inability to walk away i think what even brett ratner's film which has been a, a few years uh since i've seen so forgive me if i'm, I'm misspeaking uh but I recall that this film, that film captures it well, and what the series Hannibal does really well is the implication that Will likes hunting people as much as a serial killer does. He enjoys the hunt. He, he, he enjoys the foreplay. He doesn't give a shit about getting to murder somebody, um, although in the series they kind of play with that a little bit more. But in, in at least my what, – what resonates with me about the story of Red Dragon is that Will Graham is enjoying this hunt even though he knows he shouldn't. And I don't really know how much I get that from the film Manhunter. Um, Alex, does that... I don't get that at all. Yeah, okay. It. No, like, it doesn't... He, I mean, he's at every crime scene, and maybe he's, like, he being the actor playing Will Graham, like, he's getting in his own way a little bit. Like, he's... he. At every point, he looks so disinterested, and I can't tell if that's we know like William Peterson's a good actor. Yeah, it's like, and I'm like, I don't know if that's like a character choice of you trying to pretend that I am super interested, so I'm putting up this wall to appear less interested. But the the net effect is, it looks like he's just boring, reciting the bored, reciting these internal monologues at every mm -hmm. like crime scene or every stakeout and things that should be really interesting, like. I don't know, a guy carving this, you know, Chinese character that's using a mahjong set in a tree. Like, that should be really interesting. But he's, it, it all feels very bored. Like, he doesn't give a shit. And I know, and it's weird that, like, 
I know that's part of, you know, the thing with these kind of cat and mouse tales is that the cat has got to care. Like, I mean, whenever you watch Breaking Bad, I'm watching Breaking Bad again. I mean, Hank Schrader cares about catching Heisenberg, like, more than anything. He wants that so badly. And yet, like, we never get the fat, get that Will wants to catch a serial killer almost ever. It's like he's just not there. Ugh, yeah. I don't know. I just never get the, the chasing, the perverse chase, mm-hmm. which I feel like cox's hannibal is trying to bring out in him and be like well aren't you kind of fucked up for wanting to chase serial killers because someone's got to be doing the killing to have someone to chase and i think that's something that the other adaptations do very well yeah is the relationship that and again the 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 series hannibal is all about the the relationship between hannibal lecter and will graham they had you know 30 some odd hours to flesh that out so it's it's a little bit more in depth but i think even in brett ratner's film which is not great by i mean it's not even in the same league as the other two Hannibal films. Um, but it is still interesting in, in that they do play with that relationship a little bit more. That that Lecter knows Graham very well. Like, intimately. He is fully aware of what Graham wants and why he wants it. And, and, and is able to toy with him. And, and Manhunter tries to imply that Lecter gets under Graham's skin. But I don't... I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. I don't buy it either. Uh, the other thing I don't also buy, and this is a spiritual failing in that sort of style spirit dichotomy, mm-hmm. is Brian Cox's Lecter. Mm-hmm. Um, he really, really, I, I, I always used to say he's the third best of three, and that's not saying a bad thing because they're all very, very good. They're all very good, and but, it's stiff competition. But I'm going to say he's the third best of three, and I don't like it. And I don't know to what extent these are his choices or they are screenplay choices. Mm-hmm. But, for instance, when... Uh, Lecter is uh, basically schmoozing away the uh, address of Will Graham from some secretary someplace. See, that's the only moment that I feel like, okay, this is Hannibal Lecter. Oh, I feel like it was so bad. Like, really? Well, why don't you walk over to that there Rolodex and look and see if there isn't a home address also? Like, it, it, it felt so. It felt so used car salesman uh-huh. to me as I was listening to it. And one thing Lecter's not is a used car. Well, one thing Lecter's not is rude. And, That's fair. And, and it, it felt it, it felt very sort of slick and oily, and it seems like That's fair. It, it's like a moral kind of difference. And that's the whole thing with Hannibal Lecter, right? Is uh, uh, what makes him so interesting as a character, as I think Alex will find, as hopefully she goes and continues her exposure to the adaptations of of these works. Lecter hates discourtesy; he hates it. That's that is what drives him: is people being discourteous. Uh, which is very interesting because, you know, he's not a good person. He is a bad person. It's very impolite to murder people and eat them. Yeah, but he dislikes people being gauche. He dislikes people uh, behaving in a manner uh, in which they are asserting themselves as superior because he's the only one that is superior. Um, this is very interesting. And that's uh, – at no point – does Michael Mann seem the least bit interested in the pathology of these characters? Yeah. Nope. Uh, and that's what I, something that I think um, that everyone else who's attacked this material seems very interested in is the pathology. Yeah. And with Brian Cox, again, going back to he just with what I know of Hannibal Lecter and the way his brain has to work to make these leaps and judgment and character action and things like that. Just from that performance, I wouldn't believe that man ate people. I believe yeah. that he 
I, I think my saying that he looks like a deranged dentist is totally real. Like, mm-hmm. he just looks like a slick, maniacal, like a manipulative guy instead of someone that is so brilliantly masterful. He can pull all the strings behind the scenes and then still be, you know, appear to be a fully functioning, contributing member of society. Um, like, a, you know, he can still convey... Um, you know, the good graces of society. He's a good therapist. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he's so good therapist. He can easily fuck with people's minds. Like that's super easy for him. Um, yeah. So it's and, just, and I, yeah. And you never buy that about Brian Cox. No, and I don't think I do either. I don't think that man would eat anybody. That just doesn't look like what he would do. Well, and I, I think what Hopkins and Mads Mickelson do is they do that too, but it's on purpose. Their Hannibals often don't seem like they would eat anybody, but it's by design. They're not supposed to seem like they would eat somebody. They look, I think it's a difference between like, oh, that person looks like they're not supposed to eat someone versus, oh, that guy looks like he might kill somebody, but he just doesn't like eating people. Well, they, they look more like people wearing person suits yes there it is they're hiding behind this sort of facade yeah they there is a a real menace to all of to those two performances that i don't think cox has which is a real bummer for me um i want to move out of adaptation theory and move into uh as we were starting to talk about i want to go ahead and talk a little bit more um about the the pathology of francis dollarhide and this is kind of a little bit more uh it's got one foot in adaptation still uh, but I want to talk a little bit about Francis Dollarhide because I think what makes him so interesting as a character, uh, so many of the things that make him interesting as a character are completely lost in this film. And that's r- really bothers me because holy shit is this character interesting. Number one, they lose all of the William Blake Red Dragon imagery. Yeah. Which seems like a fucking dumb, dumb, dumb choice because it is so interesting. Um, so um, the the Red Dragon that... Um, Tom Noonan's character, Francis Dollarhide, is becoming is based on a painting by William Blake called The Great Red Dragon and the Woman in the... There's a ser- it's a series of watercolors that he did, all featuring uh, Lucifer. Um, and they are stunning. They are amazing I watercolors. it's the woman with the 12 stars. There's, there's like four or five of them. But there's one painting in particular. Um, and they are amazing. And in every single work... Uh, well, in the other two works, uh, Red Dragon and Hannibal Season 3 of Hannibal the Series... Francis Dollarhide gets this painting tattooed on his back, um, and it looks amazing in both of those because um, both Richard Armitage and uh, Ray Fiennes uh, have a very incredible physique, and that's part of. Uh, and they mention that aspect of Dollarhide is because of his insecurities; he is incredibly uh, muscular, uh, and they mention that in this film. Uh, but in both of those, you have these scenes of them like flexing and like trying to change, like like. You can see the pathology of Dollarhide in action because you have these scenes where these characters are basically doing almost interpretive dances, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're they're acting out what Dollarhide feels is happening to him. Dollarhide feels like he is changing into a into an animal, um, and you get that. In this, you don't get that at all. Dollarhide seems so much more in control. Uh, and, and again, Noonan is a creepy dude. <laughs> He's a great actor, and he plays creepy very well. There's just so much more emphasis placed on Will Graham than there is on Dollarhide, and I feel like that's a big misstep because 
a big part of the story is him almost not being a serial killer because he does fall in love with uh, Reba. Um, and in this film, you don't ever really feel that at all. Uh, in all, both of the other adaptations, there is a genuine love story uh, and a genuine question as to whether or not this guy will get better um, or whether or not he will be lost entirely. And there's no question about that Manhunter. He is too far gone. Well, it is too suddenly that he sort of crosses back over. It's almost immediately after they sleep together that he imagines mm-hmm. that she's actually cheating on him. And it's a much slower, much more progressive change in the other works. Right? And as someone who doesn't know this story, yes. I was legitimately confused by this whole thing. I like, 100% would have been too if I hadn't... If no, I, I yeah, and I'm just saying that's a failing you. on... You know the screenwriter, the who adapted the work, and then the it's director. Michael, it's Michael Mann, so both of them. Are oh, cool. so double double yeah. down on Michael Mann. I think he had a uh, somebody work with him on the screenplay, but yeah, he is credited. Well, it's just like because it's so it's so abrupt that he falls in love that I honestly thought that it was tacked on, like it wasn't in the original work. It's a big part of the original work. Yeah, yeah and so that's really interesting and cool to me that that's such a big part, and you know he's struggling with it, and that's cool. Like I would love to see that. I don't. I what I felt was happening was a man uh, falls in love with this woman and then gets her to sleep with him, and he kind of like tricks her into it in almost a weird way. And it's like very eighties in oh, you know, I'm in love with you and let's sleep together. Eighties lovemaking scene. I'm gonna go to your house. Oh my god, you're cheating on me! Yeah, it doesn't make any sense in this film. No. Yeah, and then now she's gotta die because that's, I mean, because it, it just happens boom, 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 boom. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm sure, like, it felt like it was, I honestly was questioning myself having never heard, read the story or seen any of the films, like, is it just giving a serial killer a love subplot? Like, is this just things people want to do like i it felt so tacked on and and i think in in the original work um i I can't speak to but in in the other adaptations the the film becomes very interested in dollar hyde's uh abuse that he suffered as a child Mm -hmm. um his his view of himself as disfigured um and again this film doesn't really get into it that much i mean the the hair lip is there or i'm sorry the cleft lip the cleft palate is there um it's all there, but it's never really delved into. And that's what makes Thomas Harris's works so interesting. That's why people kept adapting them for 20 years is because they are interested in the pathology. They're not just interested in, in the thrills. They are interested in how do how does a person become this broken? How how do you break a brain this badly? Um, and and in, the, in the other adaptations, Reba doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with him. Um, and he starts to warm to her because she's, because she's blind. She can't see what he sees, literally cannot see. Um, so he, he is not afraid to let, to be open around this person. And, um, she, they, they have a genuine loving sexual relationship that helps him get over some of his sexual trauma. And it's, it's really touching. And then he convinces himself that she has been unfaithful. And in this film, he just shows up and she just happens to have been hanging out with another dude. And it's really dumb and doesn't make any sense. Uh, whereas in the, the other works, it, it really does follow out this line of logic that allows him to think that this is happening. 
Um, and and it, it just bothers me. It, it it troubles the work, is what it does. And and that that's not good. <laughs> it troubles the work. It troubles the gender uh, politics of the work uh, in a way that I don't. I think the other works are. And again, we're talking about a guy who is. Let's just be very clear: going into families' homes, murdering the entire family, having sex with the dead matriarch of the family and putting mirrors inside of her um and the works outside of manhunter actually do an interesting job of humanizing this broken person and trying to engage with that whereas this film just seems much more interested in the thrills of it and that's i mean michael mann's an action director and i think he He's just a poor match to this work, I think, which is unfortunate. And again, I I don't dislike him as a filmmaker. I think he is very talented, but I don't I don't think he works for this story. And I think he loses all of the things that make this story interesting in his adaptation. Fair. Dustin, as somebody who has read the novel, what what do you think about this? I I think you're right. I mean, it, it definitely does excise uh, that additional material. I mean, this is sort of the perennial problem of adaptation in general. As we come back to this discussion, is that a novel is what 700 pages long, yeah. and you cannot get all that information, all that sort of character development, all those sort of beats in a two hour film. And so it's a natural limitation that's held. And I I, I do like the story of Francis Dollarhide. And so the, the the choice the man makes is to make it about this, again, uh, sort of explosive seething rage thing, um, is an okay choice, but it is a different animal. Um, it is becoming something else. And it's much right. less interesting than, yeah, it, than the other idea of this guy that uh, feels so ugly that he is what he decides to do is become a monster. Yeah, I prefer that idea also to explore. Not to, again, not to say that I don't enjoy what I get mm-hmm. with Manhunter, but yes, I, I think overall that's not the choice I would have made and would have tra- chosen to try to realize in the way that Michael Mann had about, you know, again, instead of focusing on what he did focus on, mm-hmm. to focus on that theme of how a person gets so broken. And then, of course, we had uh, many more scenes then with Hannibal Lecter, which the novel has quite a few more scenes with Hannibal Lecter, uh, giving these sort of profiles and these ideas about what it is to be Francis Dollarhide, the Tooth Fairy, and uh, to, to give us all a better I- idea of what he is about and what makes him tick. And more of, again, and Will Graham's sort of obsession uh, therein. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of missed opportunities there. So, um, the last thing I want to mention, just just very, very briefly, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but this is just a thing I've been thinking about. Um, Michael Mann is a Zen Buddhist. I did not know that. And uh, and I, I was thinking about the use of the static camera, not, mm-hmm. not so much when he shoots his action, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think this may be his most Zen film of the ones that I have seen. Uh, because of the use of the sort of modernist architecture, uh, these homes, uh, static cameras, blue lights. Uh, there's a particular moment in which uh, I believe it's in the Graham house when uh, there is a, a, a worry that uh, Dollarhide has come after them. And you see this sort of very, very black image towards the middle right of the screen. And you see the light in the kitchen, the darkness of a uh, hallway and, and a light, and then the, uh, the very, very lighted staircase. Uh, that you see, and it's sort of this two-part diptych uh, kind of image that he has. And I could not help but, and it, the camera's also positioned very low at almost a seated kind of level. And it made me think of the other sort of Zen master of, of uh, film photography, cinematography, and directing, and uh, that, that's Yajiro Ozone, um, uh, Ozu, excuse me. And uh, movies like uh, 
oh golly, my brain just shut off. Green Tea Over Rice, Tokyo Story, and uh, so it feels very much like Ozu in some ways uh, it, with that use of those uh, those long still uh, bits of photography. And that may be, maybe if that homage is at all intentional, and I don't know that it is, but I don't know that it isn't, uh, maybe part of uh, the reason for the sort of languid pace of the film. So um, anyway, I just want to throw that out there. And I think this film is beautifully shot. Like, there's no question. I And I do love those long takes, those long sequences, um, you know, the very 80s pastel sunset at the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really beautiful. There, like, there's some w- extremely striking moments of cinematography. And it does feel rather zen because you are there for a little longer than your feels like than your standard action movie um is but yeah it definitely to me feels like michael mann is way more interested in telling just a story maybe not this story and he just wants to like show lots of cool stuff and that's and that's not a bag but what whenever you're expecting a movie about a serial killer named Hannibal Lecter it's not exactly a good matchup in my opinion um you know I understand like I I I, de- I get it but at the same time I'm just like yeah. really like <laughs> and and I kind of and I understand you know audiences need room to breathe like that's why you have you know moments of catharsis and and really tragic works of fiction you you have you have to have a moment for the audience to release and release that tension um Hitchcock being a master of that mm-hmm. otherwise your audience's nervous system is gonna freak out and either they're gonna laugh at us at a something that's not funny or they're going to like like not enjoy the experience of being in your movie very much. Um, so if like if he did an error, it's that he erred more on the side of letting the audience like breathe too much that they fell asleep. Um, and I that Zen Buddhism idea kind of comes through. I I think that's really interesting. I didn't know that. One thing I wanted to to talk about a little bit, just because I use so much of my analysis to. Uh, to bag on man, I do want to talk a little bit about the ending um, because I like the way it's shot quite a bit. Uh, Dustin has talked a lot about uh, you know the caged uh, anger, uh, right, and the the rage seething underneath the surface. And I think what the end of this film does very well is capture that. Um, man, man always shoots violence in a in a very interesting manner, uh, and in this film. At the, at the end of the film, you know, Will Graham goes to Dollarhide's house right as he's about to kill Reba. Uh, and Dollarhide kills, like, five cops. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a bloodbath. Every time a violent act occurs, there's a weird cut. Um, either, you know, it cuts to the same thing twice in a row or it'll cut to an angle that we haven't previously seen. It'll do something very jarring. And I, th- I think what that allows the film to do is show how that – just how blinding – that violence can be just how that rage underneath the surface can boil over to the point where it completely changes your perception of your reality 
and not in a good way. I mean, you, we, th- we think about uh, changing our perceptions of reality as a good thing. They're not always good. Sometimes you're going to have bad thoughts. And that's what this film, I think, does a really good job of showing in, in these final moments is the human cost of the violence. And, uh, and that's something I really like quite a bit about it. Is there anything that you guys would like to add to that? Oh, I would, I would just simply say that, yes, I agree. And I do like the jarring nature of those sort of repeated cuts, um, that repetitious uh, version of cutting that is, again, it's very experimental in some ways. I mean, in, I, I think to an extent this is man's most experimental film. Uh, and and uh, even though it's not necessarily experimental in, in this sort of rapid cut montage kind of way, but it occasionally makes use of those tools. And it does give this sort of suddenness to the violence that it's that you literally take a double take at it, you know, traveling backward through time uh, to see it happen again. And that's I mean, that's interesting to me and uh, something I enjoyed about it. And I, and I do find that violence and that depiction of violence uh, to be a satisfying end, mm-hmm. although I am less satisfied with the end, as you are, Dalton, compared so, to what we see in the other works. Uh, Alex, did you have any thoughts about the depiction of violence in this film? Well, like, to me, I just was not expecting an 80s diehard shootout at the end of this movie, and I'm it's like, t- what the fuck? <laughs> it is, it, and that is Like, the, tonal whiplash, hello. It, and that's the thing that's troubling. I mean, it works in the context that Dustin and I are talking about, but yeah, tonally, it does not make sense for the rest of the movie at all. Yeah, and... So, question. That's what I was about to talk about the actual ending. Yeah, the actual ending. I, I thought the way it was going, I was thinking like a seven type twist where so, so here his, we go. Here Will we go. Graham. Um, in the film Manhunter, um, Hannibal Lecter tells Francis Dollarhide where Will Graham lives. Um, the FBI is able to intercept that information being passed on and get Will's family to safety. That does not happen in the novel or the book. Francis Dollarhide finds out where Will Graham lives, and the FBI doesn't know that he knows. And Francis Dollarhide, instead of killing Reba, fakes his own death. Um, and Reba or Will Graham's wife? Reba. Oh. Instead of, instead of getting ready to murder Reba, um, as he does in the film, you know, he's, yeah. he's about to kill Reba in the FBI. Oh, okay, up. gotcha. Instead of killing her, the FBI do show up, but he was never going to kill Reba. He fakes his own death, and Reba's like, yeah, I was in the room with him when he killed himself. He has an extra body He has an extra body that he shoots in the face with a shotgun so it's not identifiable, and then goes to Will Graham's house and disfigures him. Uh, He cuts Will Graham's face to pieces. uh, In the the film Red Dragon, less so. Um, But he does fuck him up. Uh, And Will Graham's wife kills Francis Dollarhide, um, which is infinitely more interesting for a whole bunch of reasons why the fuck would you waste that ending that's amazing yeah i agree like that's like a miss on 10 levels because you're not interested in women sorry michael man you're not and that's probably fair i i don't think he is uh i've seen enough michael mann films to think that he doesn't really think about women at all yeah Um, i'm not calling him a sexist i'm just saying that he's not interested in women when it comes to storytelling um, which makes his films seem kind of sexist. That doesn't make him a bad person. That just make that's that that is what his films are. Well, and you get this setup of you get that setup, and then it he's so clever. I don't know. I just I was just calling bullshit the entire time because it's like you you get it set up to where okay he gets the address from Hannibal Lecter. Um, but it just doesn't feel like if this guy was such a good serial killer, it seems like he just got caught too easy. Like it, I called shenanigans. It didn't feel like that was supposed to happen. And it gave, and of course, like in your brain, you're like, oh my God, of course I want Will's family to live. But at the same time, it's like that, like 
annexes like that cuts out all the suspense so then what you're left is like oh they saved the family and we still have 30 minutes left in the movie and i'm just just totally flummoxed by that decision completely because i mean i don't want will graham's family to die but i also don't want them to feel safe because then that's not interesting exactly um and they 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 never feel like they're in danger in this film yeah it's like it's like oh he is a blonde-haired you know wife and he has a cute son and he probably has a pet so like a cute stepson which they don't even really deal with in this yeah. movie that the other works deal with that's not his kid oh I, see i kind of assumed i was like i didn't think this dude was married but they, they make a passing reference in manhunter um like you can't tell they do make a passing reference to it not being his child though um very quickly but the a big part of the other adaptations is that it's not his kid Will Graham doesn't feel comfortable having his own child. And that's something that the, the television show Hannibal really gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in this work, and again, I don't want to spoil the ending of Hannibal because it's an underseen show and I want people to watch it. It is. Different. Oh, thank you. It is different than this, uh, than Manhunter. Man it's more similar to the ending of uh, Red Dragon uh, proper, but um, it, it is different. A lot of things have been remixed from Thomas Harris's novels throughout Hannibal the show, so we're going to avoid spoiling that. Um, but yeah, uh, the ending of this novel and the other film, which is actually visually not nearly as good as Manhunter, and that's the really weird thing. I agree. Thematically, it's more interesting than Manhunter, and visually, it's way less interesting. I agree on both counts. Um but uh, there, there is a real interesting thing with Cycles of Violence for Will specifically. Another thing this movie doesn't deal with is that the reason Will retired is that Hannibal full-on disemboweled him. Yeah, that is that is like mentioned so in passing, and then it's like on a newspaper, the front page of that newspaper. But then like they zoom out so fast, it's like oh, okay, I think it yeah. says that he was attacked by Hannibal. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they barely touch on it. He fucking like cut his guts out with like a tile knife. That's why he quit being an FBI agent, and that's why Hannibal Lecter freaks him out. Why did Why I'm, did this movie take out all the interesting parts? And, it disemboweled it. <laughs> and there you have it. There, there indeed you have it, dear listeners. So uh, thank you for listening to our analysis of this film. We come to a point in the show, though, uh, where we always come, where we have to render a verdict uh, about this uh, film as to whether or not it belongs on the shelf or in the trash and are else or instead. Um, Alexander Bohannon, I'm going to go to you first. What do you say? Show for trash, else or instead? I mean trash, but like I, Dalton, I think he – I'm not – extremely upset that i watched this movie there are movies that i'm like man i fucking wasted so much time seeing this movie or whatever but no i'm actually glad i've seen this movie so i understand like where we're like i know that this is the baseline and this movie is already like fairly meh to like eh so we can only get better better from here here. so and this all the concepts we're talking about, like the character of Hannibal Lecter, the story of the Red Dragon, all this stuff is very interesting. Um, it didn't turn into a good first movie of the Hannibal franchise, movie, oeuvre, whatever. And that's why this film's not part of that uh, larger franchise. Yeah, and so I am interested to see the rest of it. Um, I'm more motivated to see the rest of it because of this movie, so there is a positive thing coming from this piece of work. But no, don't. I'm not upset. Don't watch it, probably. I mean, if you've never seen any Hannibal movies like me, you should probably watch it just so you know kind of some stuff, maybe. I don't know. Now nah, start with silence. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, I want to watch that soon. You should just go go home and do that. 
That's not a bad idea, actually. Okay, so uh, the other thing, um, so our else's, um, no, I guess this would be an instead. Um, I mean, basically, we named a bunch of, bunch of stuff in the game, and we also named, like, a bunch of of the other Hannibal movies. So I guess I just stole, like, literally everyone's choice. But there's not, I mean, in terms of interesting serial killers, um, I guess you could recommend other Michael Mann movies that are better, maybe but I don't know any of those because I don't. Yeah. Anyway, that was it. Um, there you go. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohan. What do you say? Dalton show for trash elsewhere instead. Yeah. I'm going to have to say trash. Um, it, it's just not that good, um, compared to the other things that exist. Um, so I, yeah, you're, you're going to watch that. Want to watch Silence of the Lambs instead. It does a, a lot more interesting things. Uh, I'm not going to say you should watch red dragon instead because that's also not a good movie. Uh, we've talked about it a lot because thematically it's super interesting. Ray Fiennes' performance is really good, but it's not a, it's not a good film. Um, it's, it's definitely the worst of the Hannibal movies featuring Hannibal, uh, featuring Anthony Hopkins. I've heard Hannibal Rising is absolute dog shit, but it's bad. I can't speak to that. I, I can say that Red Dragon's a, a fairly mediocre film with some really interesting themes. Uh, what I will say is you should do what I did instead, uh, which is watch, uh, Hannibal, the TV series. Um, I actually watched uh, Manhunter of My Own Volition about a week and a half ago, um, so it was just kind of serendipitous that it ended up being the film we talked about. Um, so instead of watching it again, I just rewatched the end of season three of Hannibal, and it's way better. It's way, 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 way better. Uh, so you should do that. You should also watch Collateral, which is Michael Mann's best film, in my opinion. I, I, I love that film quite a bit. Um, and basically it engages with all the things that he seems like he wants to engage with here. And, and he's not shoehorned into also adapting a pre-existing work. Um, finally, um, I'm going to recommend a film uh, called The Jeffrey Dahmer Files, also called Jeff, um, because it does deal with uh, the pathology of serial killers in a way that I find very interesting. It's uh, directed by a, a guy by the name of Chris James Thompson, who I actually uh, interviewed once upon a time on the People's History of Film. So... Um, I am not bringing it up for that reason. I am just bringing it up because it's a good documentary, um, because it, it does deal with the humanization and the pathology of someone with a really broken brain. Um, and just because you want to, you can have empathy for somebody who's bad. That doesn't mean you're condoning what they did. Um, and I, I think that, um, this film, the Jeffrey Dahmer files does a really good job of doing that. Um, and, uh, Chris is a really talented, uh, documentarian. And if you want to, yeah, you can go listen to that show uh, on People's History Film, but you don't have to. I, I just think you should watch his movie. Um, and again, uh, Collateral and Hannibal the Show. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Donaldsford. I am actually going to say Shelf. I think this movie is worthwhile because it is, but because of what it actually is, not what it could be. And we have to divorce it from the Anthony and yeah, Hopkins. In fairness, I've had a really hard time doing that. Yeah. It, it, it's a, but I'm not doing it, and I'm still not shelving it. There you go. Well, there you go. Uh, but I, the, uh, what it is as a species is this sort of style over substance uh, tone poem sort of uh, filmmaking. And, I, and I, I like that sort of thing. I think it, it is one of the lesser of any of those kinds of works at mm -hmm. all as far as those that I would recommend. But I do like it well enough that I, I, I want to give it um, more props than the trash. Um, the Elses are, are – yeah, the Elses that I would recommend are going to be far superior. Uh, beginning with uh, Suspiria uh, by Dario Argento I think is of a piece with this and, of course, much better as a film. And then finally I'm going to mention Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. 
um, which I do. That checks out. I, I find to be tonally doing similar kinds of things and a, a far superior film to Manhunter. But oh, yeah, and Thief, which is Thief, right? Good, uh, good call. The, uh, Michael Mann's very first film, which is outstanding. I love Thief, and um, this film just feels like a retread of Thief um, in a, a much less interesting way. Now, that's fair. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know where we're coming from and where we're going with the film Manhunter, directed by one Michael Mann. Uh, so we enjoy uh, being able to have these conversations. We enjoy the fact that you guys get to listen and uh, be part of the conversation. Be sure you give us some feedback on the social media means that we've already mentioned so far. It's time to roll the ball hopper, though, now. It is time. And see what we're doing next. This thing confuses me. Give me a moment. So roll. Much ball. Da! He lost it. I lost it. I've got it. Well, that'll be interesting. (laughs) What is it? We're going to do Bullworth. Bullworth? Is that the Eddie Murphy movie? No. Bullworth is the film starring... um, Oh, my God. Um, Why can't I think of his name? Uh, It's a movie about a guy that's president and decides he doesn't want to be president anymore. Uh, Oh, that seems appropriately timed. I know. That's why I said, well, that's interesting. Well, Um, fun times. Give me a moment. We'll get you uh, some more deets on that. Uh, Why can't I think of that actor's name? I can't believe you didn't know. 1998. Um, Son of a bitch, Warren Beatty. I am so bad. Halle Beatty. uh, Warren Beatty, Halle Berry. That's hard to say. First uh, big breakout roles. All right. uh, Well, I'm all in. Yeah, it'll be fun. I've never seen it. So he directed I, and wrote it yes, and starred in it. Yeah, this is after Warren Beatty decided he wasn't on tour. Okay, um, so it'll be interesting for sure. All right, well there you go, dear listener. Take a look at Manhunter if you will, um, if you wish. Uh, take a look at Bullworth and then have a conversation because that's what this is all about. We'll keep watching, you keep talking, or whichever way that works, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Good Trash Honorcast. The Good Trash Honorcast is a production of GoodTrashMedia.com. Production and direction by Dustin Sells and Dalton Stewart. Editing by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexander Bohannon and Dalton Stewart. For more information, go to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music, as always, was Kavinsky and Love Boxes. Night Call. Our outro music this week is, for reasons, Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. For every day and night, you make you take your clothes off and go dancing in the rain.